thing is, man, you didn't need to go do none of that stuff. Here's the reason why I end up in prison. Because I thought I had to go to become a G. Hey guys, this episode of Wednesdays with Will and Terry is brought to you by our sponsors over at the Seed Box. What is the Seed Box? It's pocket-sized affirmation car set crafted to serve as a deeply rooted expression of self-love or a unique gift of encouragement to those you truly and deeply care about. So you can sow, ingrain, act, and develop. Guys, the seed box is awful. Simply what it is, is it's a box set with cards inside to give you motivation, to inspire you to be your best self. One of the cards reads, you are the epitome of beauty. Your outside radiance is a reflection of your glorious essence. You are one of the most wonderful creations. You are a living, breathing, and walking masterpiece. I am beautiful. Guys, I think this would make a great gift for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas, and birthday. Just a great gift overall, guys. Please show them some love and show them some support for being our sponsors over at Wednesdays with Woman Terry. And we have a little treat for you guys. If you go to thecbox.com, that's T-H-E-S-E-A-D-B-O-X dot C-O-M, and use the promotion code WEDNESDAYS, you will get a discount on your first order. So guys, they have showed us some love. They're awesome. We believe in what the company is doing. We believe in their affirmations. I think that this will make a great gift. Now back to the show, guys. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Wednesdays with Will and Terry. Today is a very special day for us because it's a very special podcast. We have a guest on. We have a very important and special guest, which I will allow him to introduce himself, but I will give you guys the topic of our podcast, Simply Wisdom. Today, we didn't make any script. Today, we didn't come up with any questions because we are honored to sit under somebody who is very wise. We're honored to sit under somebody with a lot of wisdom. And we just wanted to create a platform of honesty where we could sit down and have a conversation as young men and pick his brain and learn from him and his experiences. I will give the definition of the word wisdom so we can understand what it is we're talking about. And there's three different definitions that come up when I search wisdom. The first is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, the quality of being wise. The second is the soundness of an action or a decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Lastly, the body of knowledge and principles that develops within a specific society or period. So pretty much when I read wisdom, it talks about experience from knowledge, having had experience, having had gone through some things. And, you know, one of the things that I feel a lot of young men and women are missing is tutelage, somebody to sit under, somebody to learn from, somebody to help us avoid some of the pitfalls in life, or maybe somebody who can help us out of the pitfalls once we fall into them ourselves. Uh, Terry, you know, I give my little definition of what it means to me. So what does wisdom mean to you before we give it over to Mr. Edward? Um, just experience, uh, you kind of, you, you've been through before. That's what wisdom means to me. Uh, it's been, it's very valuable to someone like me. I grew up without a father. So I've always sought out for it on, on a daily basis. And uh, Mr. Everett, I'll leave the floor to you if you want to give an introduction and you want to let us 
you know, know what you think of wisdom? Um, you know what? Just listening to you guys, it's incredible how um, we get measurements of, of what our future or who hands our future is in. And, and, and like you both have clearly explained that the best gained wisdom is going to be through lessons learned, which is the experiences that um, you had in your life, right? And just hearing how you two young gentlemen speak and how well-rounded you are, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, 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 it brings um, tears of joy to me because one is you, you guys started out your podcast with prayer. And then when you began to talk about wisdom, you gave a definition of it. And then you accompanied that, both of you, with what it means to you. And in everything that you conveyed in your description is correct. Um, there has been a great distance between the elder and the youth um, in time. And in some of that losing of that connection that used to exist was because most elders became afraid of the youth because the actions of the youth that was so radical to where it became disrespectful to the elders and not uh, receptive of the information that the elders carry and retain because of their experience and their exposures in the same environments and in and, and, and the teachings for which all of you still have to experience and endure um, in your growth. In the Bible, it talks about, share about the coming of the good news, you know, of our Savior. But included in that, there's a whole bunch of other things that creates the opportunity, creates the platform for you to get there. Because sometimes people want to share what they relate to you with. And then as the conversation carries on, you know, you get a chance to find out that, hey, this person is a believer or this person is curious about belief. And you might be the only Bible that they get a chance to get introduced to before they know God. But again, like I said, I, I, my name is Edward Lee. I, I met you um, when you came to get your taxes prepared, um, you and your wife. And it was just something about you guys' spiritual presence that compelled me to want to say something, you know, a conversation started and um, it gave me um, a moment of edification, just having a conversation with you guys. And, and then the invitation that was extended, again, I'm greatly appreciative of you guys having me. And, and I'm more than happy to just share in any way with the type of dialogue that you guys uh, plan on having today. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I'll let you, if you feel compelled to share the testimony, you share with me a little later. But you said something that kind of pricked me in a good way. One of the things you said is that you believe the disconnect, well, I'm paraphrasing it, is that the disconnect between the elders and the youth happened because the elders became afraid of the youth because we became so radical. And being a youth, you know, when I reach out and I mentor people, 
you know, kids at the skate park, or I try to mentor some of the youth at the church and things of that nature. You know, one of the things that I'm told a lot is, you know, times are different. You know, you don't understand what it is we're going through. Or like, you used to get bullied at school, but now we get bullied on the internet, you know? And my mom would tell me as a child, you know, son, you think you're doing new stuff, but like, nothing's new. Nothing has changed other than son. You're not the first person to go through it. You're not gonna be the last person to go through it. You know, those same things you try to pull on me, I try to pull on you. So I'm always curious as to, you know, from a youth perspective or from a young man's perspective, because I'm 35 years old, you know, a lot of the times when I speak to certain elders, it almost feels like there's a, a level of ignorance. Like I really don't get them. They really don't get me. And, you know, it almost sometimes feels like either they're trying to hold withhold from me because they don't want to see me succeed in the area or they just have no knowledge of it themselves. So I'm kind of out on the fence, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I making I any sense? Yes, so, you make a great deal of sense. <laughs> well, for me, I feel like uh, the, the disconnect happened I would say relatively recent because I remember in my childhood, my during my youth, uh, it could be a personal thing, but uh, I know me and my crowd, we found uh, the, the, the elders uh, quite interesting to see people that have taken on, taken on like, like, like they're, they're to hear stories. Like I love stories. I loved it. I, I've even explained in one of our uh, one of our episodes that I had a, a uncle Talmadge Holiday that uh, I used to just go sit in his car and listen to him tell me stuff. And he had a thing where he didn't let us speak, like just you you had to think before you spoke. And and like he would ask me what how was my day, and I'd be like, oh, it was cool, it was good. And he's like, that sounds terrible. And he was like. What about marvelous or splendid or wonderful things like that? And he he put that pressure on me to put more effort in my in my my conversation, my words, and those type of those type of experiences. I felt like it always kept me a little bit a little bit of a level higher when I when I was around other people of my age group because I felt like I had a little bit of something to teach them. It could be technology that caused it but there's a, a a lack of respect for physical experience yes it's more like there's so much information at the tip of your fingers now you don't feel like it's necessary to go to the guy up the street who probably worked there for 10 15 years you can find it on google you know you know you're right especially when you talk about um that device that's you know, readily available at a person's fingertips. It's a disconnect and it's a big distraction from people having a physical interaction with one another. Yeah, a computer is designed to respond to what you input into it as a question, as a gesture, um, for research or whatever. It's gonna to respond to what you put into it. If you just enter the wrong key or you enter the question in a different manner, it's gonna to respond to it in that way. 
But when you're having a physical conversation with someone, you have the ability to ask them to expand on what they just spoke about so you can get a better understanding, so you can really understand what they meant. And it's just like with your uncle, when he put you in those positions to say, hey, why not marvelous? Why not this and that? When you had that next conversation with him, you were already prepared. You yeah. were getting geared up because you knew that you was going to put him in a position where he was going to know that you knew that if he challenged you, you were there to take him up on that challenge. Yeah, and when yeah. you talk about not having a father, brother, you had many of them. That was those uncles. That was those older individuals and so forth. Because see, in my day and age, when I was growing up, and I have you guys by 20 plus years, mm -hmm. um, the elders took the time out to tell us what was right, to correct us, to tell us to get off the street and go in the house. And they were adamant about stating that they didn't want to happen to us what already had happened to them. Mm -hmm. Perfect example is I tell people all the time, you know what, I prefer the manual method because whatever I'm doing, I can see my mistake and correct it there. Instead of finding out I made a mistake at the end of the day, or yeah. at the end of when I did something, now I got to go back and I have to change so many different things. It's just like a carpenter. If you're off by an inch, by the time you get finished, you're off by seven <laughs> right? You started off trying to build a shoebox and you built a little miniature dollhouse. That ain't yeah. what you with. <laughs> and, and like your mother would say was that, you know, everything that is done under the sun has been done before. It's just by a different person entertaining it or finding a different perspective to address it. Mm, yeah. Everything. I promise you everything. So one of the things that's funny is that um, people had more, I would say, sympathy for others because of the empathy they shared with those others. Meaning, if you take me back 55 years ago to my birth, the people that were teaching me were 12, 15, 25, 30 years older than me. Yes. So look how much closer they were to the days of slavery. Yeah. And that was just my parents. That's not speaking of my grandparents and great grandparents who were in the picture as well who were able to elaborate even more and share even more. And what happened was, for me, it caused anger immediately whenever I would experience people in the, in the way that they were treated and the things that they had to go through. And it caused me anger. And one day a Caribbean guy said to me at a company that I was working at, and I came in at a pretty high level, but I had been with the company coming up the chain. But when I made it to his group, I was above him and he had been there for already 30 years. And in some ways, you know, I was more than happy for the success and my accomplishment, but I wondered what happened? Why have you been here for 30 years and you're training these individuals that's coming in and these individuals that you're training don't look like you, but they're promoting them over you and you stayed. And I can guarantee you, I started to tear up as he was talking to me and get angry. And he says, listen, don't feel like that. He says, 
my gratitude and pleasure came in seeing you walk through that door and you have the position you have because everything that I went through and suffered through, I suffered for you to be here. And you, young man, don't have the right to take all that pain and suffering and throw it out the window and have somebody start it all over. And it was comfort wow. to me because he was speaking the truth. And that was just one of the components of, as God was sharing with me in the physical, the truths I had to now not just understand and build off of and grow and, and go to the next level. My wife told me, here it is, I was incarcerated. I come home, I'm working, I'm doing a job that really was, I felt beneath me, but it was exactly where God needed me to be. I was working with kids that was younger than me and they were running around acting all crazy like they was a man. And I know before I went to prison, I was the man. <laughs> so, right. And on top of that, my wife has been working there with these people for the five and a half, six years I had been gone and in prison. So automatically, I know that you've comforted yourself with somebody here. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that you have. And now I really want to tear this person's head off. Yeah. Well, one day my wife said to me, she says, you want to do something to this person to show him how much of a man you are. How about you show your family how much of a man you are? You got four kids and you got me here who have suffered and struggled while you were behind that wall in prison. And we had nobody to turn to and nobody to help us. That created a love-hate relationship between you and I because you wasn't there when I needed you and you promised you would be there. Show us how much of a man you are by not doing something to somebody else and being here to pay bills and keep food on the table and a roof over the heads of these children. And it broke me. It broke me. And I grew that day. And when you talk about wisdom, these are the experiences that I had that gave me the wisdom to understand that when God said the fight is not ours, it's his. He's going to send us through an experience in life to knock off all the rough edges, to get us smooth and round, the perfect size, the perfect weight, to be sitting in that satchel so that when David has to pull us out, meaning us, to be, mm -hmm. defeat the Goliath that is us, that's trying to take over and conquer and remove us away from the very God that has given everything of himself to make sure that in the day of coming that we can come and live eternally with him because if we're not right when we go, he can't receive us, which is why he don't give up. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's incredible. So one of the things I did share with my brother here was that, and I didn't really go into totally details, but I'll expand a little more for you. No, it's crazy, bro. <laughs> It's crazy. Right. So um, when I was younger, I got shot up. I got shot five times in the head and twice in the neck. I was shot up by a couple of guys that was actually my friends with the very guns that I gave them. And they were supposed to go and do something right, wrong. But they asked me to give them a ride, not knowing that they were going to turn on me that night. And so we get around a dark way and one of them throws the car into 
you know, slams it apart, and boom, another guy puts a gun to my head, like, get out the car. I'm not getting out the car. What is wrong with y'all? So we get out, and the guy fires on me, but my adrenaline is so high, that means nothing. I throw him to the side because I'm ready to run. The other guy grabbed me. I said, don't run. We ain't going to do nothing to you yet. I ain't going to let him do nothing. The guy that was holding me was a guy that I called my brother, my big brother, because he stayed in my mom's house. We all slept in the same beds and rooms together. I dressed like him on holidays, and he was really like my big brother. But he didn't know that this other guy was going to do to me what this guy did. He shot me in the back of the head, and, and I said to myself, just as clear as I said to you, I'm like, dang, that's what it feels like to get shot in the head. And I pass out. So now I'm coming through. And now as I'm coming through, they're standing over me. And I now got to fake like I'm dead because if I don't, I can't fight these two cats. Mm -hmm. And the guy tell the other guy, you got to shoot him too. And the guy commences to shooting me, right? And I'm just laying there. But God has given me the strength and the, and, and, and the, and the poise to not jump up, not do anything crazy, to accept what I had to go through until it was over and they moved on. I tried to get up and I couldn't. And I'm saying, I'm too strong. I know I can get up. I know what, what's going on. And so eventually I said to myself, because I'm thinking, I said, well, let me write down their name with my blood on the ground in case I don't make it. And then as soon as I said that, I said, well, wait a minute. God, where are you? And I said to God, I said, God, I got two children on the way because I had two women pregnant, of course, being young. And I said, if you let me live to see what they look like, then I'll go be with you. Please, please give me this. And before you know it, before I finished saying that, I literally was walking around a corner. And I knew I was walking because I stumbled off the curb and I had my arms folded. Now, I'm wondering why my arms are folded. And I found out later why. But I, I tripped over the curb and I walk around three blocks, four blocks over and then across the major street, which was Firestone, and to a liquor store because that's where I was going to the light where people would be so I can ask for help. I get into the liquor store. I ask the guy, hey, call the ambulance. I've been shot. The guy is shocked himself like, what the heck is going on? I'm like, man, call the ambulance. And I just laid down to the rest till they came and got me. Well, later on, because I ended up living, of course. The police was mad at me because I was a character in the streets and they sent me to prison to be with those guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So what happened was I, I served my time, I get out and everything. And to this day, God has allowed me to see those children, plus two, six grandchildren, those children of those four, graduate college and go on to have careers. He's given me so much more than I asked for that day. And he speaks about that in the Bible because his ways are not ours. He reminded me of that promise and that asking was when I was in prison, when they sent me to prison. I'm in the shoe program. Me and my cellie, we come back from child. I'm laying on the bunk. I got the Bible on my chest and I'm reading it. And I lay it down and I'm going to, going to go to sleep. And I remember saying prior to me falling asleep, Lord, I would not have rebuked you the three times like Peter did. I would have died with you. I say I represented these streets and gangs and there's no way I wouldn't have went with you. I would have stayed with you, Lord. And God grabbed me. I screamed. 
I urinated on myself and I jumped up because I felt him grab me. And when he let me go is when I stopped screaming, I jumped up, right? And I turned the light on in the cell. My cellie was still asleep. The bed was full like I peed, but it was more thick, like for real, like a mucus. Mm -hmm. As if he cleansed me that day. And now I'm really scared. I wrote everybody in the world that I think that I could think of to write. But nevertheless, he said, be careful of what you ask for, as the Bible tells us. Yes. And when I said that I would die with him, meaning Christ, instead of denying like Peter did, he was showing me that you have to be careful. So again, I went the long way to go around to share something that happened, but the ending of it was I took the one guy that originally shot me and had to, made the other guy shoot me to church. And I introduced him, the pastor let and him get up there. I told the pastor what I wanted to do. And um, I mentioned to the, you know, everybody inside the congregation that day is, listen, we're holding things against people, grudges, and, and say we're not going to speak to our family and friends and people that have done things to us. And God talks about forgiveness all the time. Well, I want to share a story with you guys. And I shared the story of this guy that shot me who's supposed to be my friend. And then I turned, I want to introduce you to him. This is the guy. When I came home, everybody was looking for this big old shootout or whatever. But I want to tell you guys what God did for me. And this is how much it has benefited and blessed me and, and, and gained me the salvation that I so much desire to have is I forgave him because if I didn't, God, I felt would not forgive me for all the things that I did. And to this very day, me and that person has never had a problem. He never came around my family. The other guy hasn't either. He's continued to follow that path that he's on. And God has redeemed me in society. He's, he's given me to put me in a point where I can be, I can feel respected again. Because when I went behind those bars, I thought I'd never be respected by decent people again. Wow. But um, again, as far as the disconnect between the youth and the elders, I say they're afraid because a lot of the youth didn't want to hear what we had to say. And they, they took it to be offensive to them and was saying that we can't tell them nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? And Chopper. we just wanted to share. <laughs> we just wanted to share with them what we didn't want them to have to go through. Because we've seen a lot of tough cats go that other way or go behind that wall and they wasn't tough no more. Yeah. And it was a hurting feeling to see somebody go through something that sometimes you can't even jump in and stop from what's happening to them happening. Mm -hmm. So again, you guys, I just really appreciate what you guys are doing for each other. Iron sharpening iron. You guys are making time to speak to the brothers and sisters out there who are open to hearing the things that they think only happened to them or that they're experiencing in their life or in their family or in their childhood. And they don't know that it's relative to what the next person that's standing to next to them is going through too. We just need to be open to be healed. And, and once we realize that ain't nothing wrong with us, it's easier for us to fix and repair each other through the word if we're open to it. Well, like when I get in places where I see people, you know, Mr. Edward said this when we were getting our taxes done. He said sometimes people do the right things 
Oh no, sometimes people do the wrong things for the right reasons. So sometimes people are doing those things which are wrong, but they're trying to take care of their family. They're trying to pay bills. They they might have a sick mother or son or something that they're trying to provide for. So they're going about it all wrong. And then sometimes people are just wrong and evil. And for me, I remember in the Bible, I think it was Moses or maybe it was David. And it says, when I looked at the wealth of the wicked, my foot almost slipped. Because it's like, sometimes you can see like, that man got three women and I'm just sitting over here arguing with the one or I'm getting up going to work 40 hours a week and I'm only making this, but he's selling dope and he making $10,000 a week. But then there's a scripture and I'm just paraphrasing getting the Bible, but it says, but my rewards will be stored up in heaven. Amen. So sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, they say the grass is greener on the other side. You see him making that $10,000, but what you don't have to do, Terry, you don't have to watch your back. Amen. You know, you can go into any city you want and you can watch a movie. You know, if I say, let's go to the skate park in, in Chicago, you don't have to feel like, oh, but I don't get along with those people in that neighborhood or I can't be over here or I can't wear my hat this way because you're not tied into any of that. And then I feel like something where you talked about like, everybody's walking around and everybody's afraid. I think that we, our first episode was on fear, Mr. Edward. And I think why everybody is so afraid is because people are so unforgiving. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the times, you know, you get hurt. Like me, for example, when I got hurt in my first relationship, the first thing I said is that's it. I'm about to be a player. I'm going to have five, <laughs> six women. I ain't going to ever settle down. Same crap, I'm, a, I'm not going to call nobody girlfriend. I'm through with titles. You know, I'm going to just have one for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, I'm going to let them know about each other. And obviously, I'm not that guy. But in my life, I had to learn to forgive. And I also had to learn how to be accountable because a lot of the things that happened were my fault. Like, a lot of the things I saw them, you know, it was like, I would say, God, if you don't want me to be with this person, give me a sign. Well, God, if you don't want me to be with this person, give me another sign. Okay, yeah. God, if you don't want me to be with this person, drop a rock on my head. And now I know that you're not even supposed to test God like that, you know? Yeah. You're just supposed to be like, you know, God, help me to be the best me. And then God will move people out the way. But Mr. Edward, my question to you, because we're talking about wisdom, and one of the things that I heard, which you didn't say, but obviously you've had to do a lot of forgiving in your life as it pertains to, you know, when you get off this, when you get this job, you find out your wife, you know, was seeing somebody at the job. Then you even forgave the man who plotted to take your life in the other man with no fear, with no retaliation. And I'm from Compton, Terry from Compton nowadays if you step on somebody's shoes that can get you killed even if you're saying man i apologize man i didn't mean to step on your shoes or you know it seems like everybody sees forgiveness as a weak thing nobody sees forgiveness as a strong thing so that's what how, would you that's our race too exactly that like, forgiving is leaving yourself vulnerable yes so, so what would you say to young men and young women out there struggling with forgiveness when i when i first came home it is so crazy because i knew that this guy was getting out one of them and the other one was already out and my fear was that i wasn't gonna keep my faith mm -hmm. and that i was finna do something to them see when i told 
my friends. And, and so it's funny because it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, it's easy to do the wrong thing mm-hmm. all the time. Yes. And I'm going to tell you how easy, you know, that, that, that satanic little fella is with making things easy for us to do the wrong thing. He, because he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy us in so many ways that his thing is he knows what we like more than we know what we like. And he knows how to entertain us to take us away from God. And God is saying, remember Job, I allowed him to be tested. You see? And so we are allowed to be tested too. So I happened to be in my own neighborhood and I decided I was going to go over there and I was going to share the Bible because remember, I kept asking God, what are you going to do? How am I going to handle when I just do if he comes off the wrong way toward me? Yes. Because I'm going to protect myself. And and I didn't doubt at all that God wanted me to protect myself if I because remember, God creates strong people. He says, I do not give you a, a presence of a motion of fear. I give you a motion of strength, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm sharing with somebody the Bible and the dude walks up on me. My cousin is there, a couple of other guys is there. My woman is inside the car, which is my wife at now. And she's trying to get the pistol out the car my cousin tell her, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. But really, he was scared of this guy. They were all scared of this dude. And the dude actually walked up and was standing behind me. And I didn't know he was right there. But I noticed around me, it got very quiet. Yes. And I smiled. And when I smiled, I knew now it was God. It was his show. And he was going to show me what I was doubting him for. He showed me what I was going to do. The dude stood there, right? And I turned around. He said, what's up? I said, what's up, man? And he was like, nothing, you know? And I was like, well, listen. And I look around, and I kid you not, everybody is there, their mouth dropped, and the eyes wide open. They're not trying to intervene. They're not trying to get between us or anything. At first, as a person in the physical, we think, well, oh, y'all cowards. Y'all just going to... But yes. for person of faith i know this is god saying i just split the red sea Mm -hmm. order i'm in control and so what he said was man um i'm cool i just got out whoopie whoopie wop i said well everybody is looking for a show but it ain't gonna be that i said my thing is is i'm out i ain't tripping i got my family i got my health and i got my life and my freedom as long as you stay away from me, I'll stay away from you. And, and this is the end of everything. And, and, and to me, a lot of people saying, man, that might be, that to me, that there are people saying that's the coward way out. It wasn't the coward way out. I didn't have no fear for him. My wife was mad because she's saying, why your cousin didn't let me get the gun? Because I was going to do this and that. And the guy didn't want none of that to happen. He wanted to see what I would do. And I trusted him. But like I said, when I smiled, I just thought it was very humorous of God to put me in that situation. So that's when I told him I invited him out to church. And he said he would go in front of all those people. All those people was coming to me after he left and says, 
you tripping. I know you're trying to hide it. I know you don't want to go back to jail. I know you're trying to make it look like you ain't going to want to do it. When we going to go get them? And I told them, we ain't going to do nothing. They really didn't believe me and wanted to egg me on to go and do something to this dude. Guys got out of prison, came to me. Hey, man, what's up? What are we going to do? I said, we ain't going to do nothing. Nobody believed that I was willing to forgive him. Nobody believed that I was really, truly going to follow my faith and trust God and move on. I mean, in in that situation, what I was raised around, too, I wouldn't have believed that either. I would would have been like, man, this guy is smart. He's tactical. (laughs) And so that was the seven times, as I said to my brother before, that was the seven times I got shot. They shot me seven times, five times in the head, twice in the neck. But I had been shot in the face with a gunshot blast. I had been shot twice for on a different instance. And, and, and all of that God had prepared me for because I watched death in so many ways growing up and watched, man, since I was a little bitty kid. My brothers raised me while my mother was out at work. And, 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 and that thing was, hey, Ed can fit through the bars of this house. Ed can fit through the windows of these trucks. And they would just sit and I open up the doors they, and, and, and go in these places, open up stuff. And, and, but I was like five and six years old, seven and eight, just gambling like I was probably baby boss or boss baby, whatever the term it is. But <laughs> he has guided me through so much. God let me see so much before I got to that point. He had prepared me so much for that point. Even when I got shot up, my brother had died at, at Martin Luther King Hospital, which is called the Killer King back in the days. Yeah, I was born. <laughs> and uh, while I was going through the operation, trying to remove the bullets from my head, the cocktail wore off, and I can actually feel them cutting on me and digging in my head. And I was paralyzed and couldn't even scream. Hmm. And God had to calm me. From the time they wheeled me out of there into ICU for me to recover, my brother visited me who had passed away in there. And he told me things going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And I couldn't open my eyes from that. And I'm telling you, I tried. I tried and something just held them shut. And as he walked away, I could see the door closing as my eyes could open. And the person that was in there, the nurse said nobody had been there and the door never moved. And it was just crazy. But God has always made me feel so special. And I believe everybody, everybody who seeks God has a story that they could tell that they think people to think they're crazy or just making it up about an experience that God made them feel very special and unique and different. Happened with me and my little brother. He came to me in a dream. And everybody, when I told him that he didn't come, you was just dreaming. Like, there's no way that you can tell me that my little brother didn't come visit me. It was too real. And God knows it's what I needed to forgive myself for some things. Uh, One of the things I want to ask, and then I'll let Terry go, because I don't want to just hog, you you know, I don't want to, he got questions. But, do you believe you've ever mourned for the loss of your loved ones? Because one of the things that I know that a lot of young men and young women deal with, including my age group, you know, the millennials, we don't mourn. Like Terry said, we're kind of desensitized. Death is so prevalent. It's in our gangs. And I don't think gangs do it, but like you can put on Facebook and watch somebody murder people. You can go on YouTube or, you know, and watch actual murders happen. And like for me, you know, death has become so prevalent that I find it hard to mourn. Like, 
when my brother passed, I didn't cry. You know, I felt and a tear or two might have fallen. But, you know, my I've had people who've recently passed and gone on to be with God. It's like, you know, I often ask God, God, is that part of me broken? It's like, and, and it's funniest thing ever, you know, I'm being very honest. I always say that this platform is a place where everybody has something to learn and teach. And we try to always keep the door open for honesty. Like there's movies that I watch and cry. Like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I cried. I boo-hooed. <laughs> like uh, Titanic, I cried. John Q, I cried watching John Q. And I have a brother who has a pacemaker. I had a brother who, you know, was diabetic. But when my auntie passed on and when certain friends and stuff passed on, I find it so hard to mourn. God is preparing you not to see it as death. And he's, he, he's securing your belief that, you know, there is eternity with him. So they didn't die. They left that vessel and moved on. Because if you hold on to your seats, it's crazy. After about when a person passed away in my life, and this has been since I've been a little kid, I don't know when it started. You give it six months, about a year, and it's almost like they never was here. The only thing I know is that I'm thinking about a memory of them, mm -hmm. but it seemed like it wasn't real. They was never really here. And then when you talk about crying over these movies, but not crying over loved one that passed, to me, I equate that to God being present in us, cleansing us at that moment, because God is love. Love touches the core of your soul, man. And yes. it causes you to cry. And then also while you're crying, you think about, you know, your brother, you think about a loved one yeah. and, 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 and you drop those tears. Because again, like you said, we never really deal with the death. Mm -hmm. Because if we sit there and get hysterical, go crazy, screaming and hollering and crying, does it bring them back? We know not. We've seen it so many times to the point where, like, a couple of weeks ago, I watched my friend. He took his last breath. And then you touch them, and you're like, man, what's going on now? I'm looking at this vessel. I'm like saying, yeah, life ain't in it. This is what I look like if life ain't in me. You know, and it's the strangest thing of how, you know, if a person didn't just die suddenly by getting shot or, you know, they whatever happened medically and they was full, if they dealt with cancer or some diabetes or something like that, and the way that the whole body just, you know, kind of like started to disintegrate itself. And they was they put him in that bag. And I promise you, this guy was like, you know, he was taller than I, he was wider than I, he was a big guy. But it looked like it was like, seriously, man, like, like, like they just put the skeleton in there and wrapped it up and like the bag didn't have no air in it. I couldn't believe it. But again, like I said, it wasn't the first time, you know, dealing with them streets, seeing people die and everything. I don't think we desensitize. I think that we've accepted death. Um, in that form, we're no longer afraid of it. And, and we're getting to that point where one day when we know that if we're not afraid of dying, because we know that we'll be with God, because that's who we serve, we worship, and our faith is in. And as long as we're here, we're away from God. We're going to be all right. 
So don't don't. It, it, to me, it's nothing to be afraid of anymore. But I used to be afraid of nothing. Just like I told you when I was in that cell. When he grabbed me, I, re- I I thought he was taking me. But the first thing hit me was I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my kids. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to this or that person. I still got mm-hmm. things I didn't get a chance to do. But I was scared. That's what it summed up to. I was scared. I'm not scared no more. But I'm not trying to run up on somebody to put me in a grave either. Exactly. Yeah. Say, I'm not afraid to die, but I don't want you to kill me. I tell people that <laughs> I, I know where I'm going when I die, but I don't want you to be the one to take my life. Let God do it. Yeah. I, would, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of dying. I'm just afraid of what I'm leaving behind to right. be missed. I don't want to leave a job undone. Wow. And that's what I'm scared of. Uh, I don't I don't think that uh, there's much to be scared of in death because what's way more terrifying than knowing that I'm not here anymore is being here and dealing with all this crap that we go through daily. I wake up some, I don't even want, I can't watch the news, you know, because it leaves me way too cautious to get my normal duties done. Like I'm, I'm, it, it builds a certain amount of anxiety in me and stress to where like it takes me off my set list you know I, mm-hmm. I i'm focusing too hard on everything instead of enjoying things i'm looking reading the fine print and asking too many questions like dude just slide down the slide it'll be fun keep your arms in and i'm like yeah but i've seen this one show or this and they're <laughs> like dude that happens is the percentage of that happening and i'm like yeah but i mean you know what they say about slides right and it's like no i don't and it's like oh well you know, let me tell you what they say. It's like, I'm trying to keep myself scared. And for me, I was ignorant when I was younger. You know, we, we were presented to elders that have already experienced things. We're not, we weren't there to walk through with them. So I had to like go through my own things. Like, I don't know if it's a tough thing or not, but I learned my lesson quick. (laughs) I don't know if it's a lack of toughness. I mean, but as a young kid, I was just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in that stuff. Like I've seen the cause and effect of it. Like, yeah. So I need to really like pay attention to where, where I'm going. I'm not built for that type of stuff. So for it, me. You're, you know. you're above that type of stuff. It ain't that you ain't built for that type of stuff. You survived in that environment. Look at how many people didn't. And then too, you talk about consistency. If you chose to take the easy route and look over your back just like will talked about because if you got caught by the law now you was going to give up your freedom you was going to give separation to you from your children from your family and just give up your freedom in in a, in, in a home right mm-hmm. but for you to be challenged with seeing people have stuff that you didn't have they were getting it the way being the wrong way but for the right reason kind of like what we were talking about my thing was <clears throat> I was in school, I love school. And my schooling was everything to me until I got to high school and all of a sudden, uh, and this is where it counted the most, you know, you're getting ready for college, you know, you love your sports and you have all these opportunities. But yet my friends, they got the girlfriends, I'm bashful, I'm shy. And then because I'm more, you know, I wanna say educated or intellectual, but these books, these terms, these words are different from the casual conversation that they're having with the girls. So when I try to talk to a girl, they're looking at me like I'm a nerd. My grandmother, she, she, she one time she yarned me a hat 
and it was of all colors, lime green. And she I ain't gonna wear this. I put that hat on my head and I told my grandmother when I walked out the door, I'm not taking it off till I get back home. And I promised her I wouldn't, and I did that. And I'm in high school. So, <laughs> so my thing was is that people did kind of think that I was different. And then, you know, my brothers and sisters, of course, you know, our sisters and brothers could be they cruel, like, oh, call me white boy Eddie because I was different, but I just wanted things. I wanted different from what we were living. And I believe that we had access of obtaining those things too, if we apply, you know, the same things that others apply, if we understood what they were applying to obtain it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened was, I decided, you know what, I'm very good at math. Um, I'm very good at chemistry. I always thought that chemistry was a form of math. And then it was the drug era in the 80s. And I could take, crazily, they would take me and ship me around to cook for people. Mm -hmm. And I was a little lab scientist and I was great at it and proud of it. But I knew I was wrong. And I always felt like watching the Marvel series that those villains were strong. Those villains was powerful, but they took their strength and their power and used it for wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the heroes used theirs for good. And I was right there on the cuff. I was on the fence of that. And I realized that's what my downfall was. I used my good for wrong because I wanted to be able to provide for my family. My mother was working six days a week from, 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 from sun up to sun down. And I, I was tired of that, man. And, 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 and me getting out of school, me going to college, me getting these monies was taking too long. When I should have been, like you said, Terry, patient and been consistent. And I wouldn't have never had to be away from my mother and my grandparents for them to die while I'm in jail, brother to die while I'm in jail. All those things were causing more and more pain that was going to resonate inside of me. And if I never dealt with them, dealt with them, I was going to come off on somebody else with it. And that's what I found out about myself, that I don't have to attack people. I don't have to hurt people. I need to deal with that pain inside of me so I can be a better person toward people, be more open with people. Because I thought even when we go to the club, y'all better make sure I get a drink or I got to smoke some weed. I'm going to go in here and we finna tear this place up. I was a menace and I was mad and I was angry, but it was because I was hurting. And God has really touched basis on all those things and help me to understand. And that's where truly the wisdom came from, honestly, for any one of us, is to learn how to be better as man, that's woman and man, having this spiritual, that might be having this physical experience so that we can put ourselves in a place to be a better spiritual person. When something happened to like a family member or a close friend in the family, or even someone that I knew growing up that was like a friend's older brother or something. And I'm like, really that happened to Carlos? Like, I didn't know he was like that. Fortunately, later down the line, you hear that he's caught up either in jail or worse than that. And it's just like, it was surprising for me. Cause I'm like, why was someone so cool and so seemed so genuine get, allow himself to get caught in it. But I mean, I've gotten caught up in situations where I've been jumped. I've been chased with weapons. I've, 
I've been wrongfully accused for for stealing. I've had I've been pulled over and been un, uh, misidentified. I had guns pulled in my face by gang bangers. Yeah, right there, on, right there on Long Beach Boulevard, man. I I was driving next to an El Camino, like on rims and everything. The dude was just mad dogging me, hitting the switches and stuff, passing. And then the cops were behind both of us, and I'm in my head like. Bro, it's stunting. He about to get pulled over. He has no idea that well, you Carlos is right <laughs> behind us. So I'm kind of smirking at him like I'm in a little jacked up for focus. You know, you can see my kneecaps. That's how little them cars are. I'm like Mario Kart driving. I'm looking at this guy just stunting. And I'm like, I already know what's about to happen to him. And then they flash me. <laughs> pull me over. I'm like, this pull over and then there's all these old, old heads right uh, at the liquor store across the street looking, and they kept chanting things like, man, leave the young blood alone. What y'all doing and this and that? And then they check my ID, clean. They check my insurance, clean, everything. And then they start tearing my kids' car seats out of my car and all this stuff to try to, to, try to freak me out. And I'm like, like, they have... They you have were that unfamiliar face. In that was, it was a... It was just wrong, wrong place, wrong time, you know, but I was, I was lucky to get through. And I remember after they finished, they handcuffed me and everything. And then he told me, do you want he with an attitude? Like, do you want to, I was like, dude, I didn't even do anything. Like all my stuff is wet. It just a storm recently, all this stuff. I didn't do anything. He's like, do you want to go home? And then I heard the other guy to say like, dump. Him. And then I was just like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Like dump him. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm already like nervous. I'm I've never been into that stuff. I've seen it. I've been in the areas. I got I got a handcuff for skateboarding, you know what I mean? But like on a school, but nothing like big time. So then he handcuffed me and like pushed me away from him and all that. And I remember just I couldn't find my keys. But what they did was when they when I pulled the keys out, they had me put it on top of the dash and it ended up sliding into like the, the dash vents. Right. So I couldn't find it for like a good five minutes. And I'm already like stressing out. I was like, man, what is going on tonight? And so I just said, forget it. I'm going to just sit here because I don't know what's going on. And I laid on the hood of my car. And then another guy from one of the guys from across the street came over and was like, hey, man, you all right, man? They always doing that type of stuff and this and that. And it threw me on a loop because I was like, man, if I'm, I'm pretty sure if they would have pulled that other dude over, you know, not to judge or anything like that. But he seemed that like somebody that would have been typically pulled over. He would seem like somebody that they would have been after the investigate but then they investigated me and i had my work uniform on you know driving a little four focus with car seats in the back like what but was the one they were supposed to pull over over time it made more and more sense why it was necessary for me to experience that and it actually humbled me and made me choose my steps and it made me less judgmental towards people when i see them in those situations because you see somebody in handcuffs or you see somebody getting pulled over on a bike or this and that and right away we look at them as like, oh, the backwards hat, flannel, of course. Or like, she looked like she'd probably been, they pulled over like four or five times. They probably know her name and this and that. And it's like, how are they looking at me when when they were passing me, you know? The the light was on you. You were the beacon. That none of, none of the, they were already being entertained, hmm. doing wrong. So they probably was already in the system, all this and that stuff, but they needed to make sure you in the system too. Here it is. They ran your license. They they had your insurance if you had it. They had your documents for your registration for your car. 
All that's legit. So why did they commence to tan up your car? Because they was hoping to find something. And then when the guy said dump them and you handcuffed you and this and that, and they probably was contemplating whether we're going to put a pistol on them, whether we're going to put some drugs on them that we took from somebody else because they needed to get you in the same position that the people in that environment that you were looking at that look like they do wrong so that you can fit in the environment you're in. Brother, man, listen, it, you, don't have this, you don't have to do nothing wrong to get caught up. It made me angry. Yeah. And that's the part is that it made me angry for a long time. And it made me, it made me spiteful too, to where like, when I would see cops, I'm like, now I see why they say names to you guys. And I, now I see why they do this and why people don't support and this and that. But like, I, it just threw me in this gray cloud for, for a few years, you know? Right. And that's the thing But with you. I noticed that, I mean, I'm pretty sure you've had your times of anger, obviously, but the, I didn't know if it, I was worried that it was those type of experiences over time were going to change my heart. We have to forgive people because if we don't forgive them, I promise you, it's going to hurt us more, right? Because if God can forgive, who are we? Nothing anybody will ever do to us will compare to the crucifixion. You go back and read. You understand what I'm telling you? Even more so, God will constantly come to you and put you in a position to see if through every after everything you've been through, Will you still have a loving heart? Will you still be forgiving? Will you still first choose him and what he would do? You got the tax collector, which we already know tax collectors were seen as sinners. You got Judas Iscariot, which was the betrayer. Like God, something about Jesus, he just liked to be with the misfits. He liked to be with the outcasts. And even Jesus himself was a misfit and an outcast. Even he went to jail. And like he said, Terry, Jesus didn't do nothing. You know, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Like I always say, you know, we talked about favoring church yesterday. Sometimes God, God's, when you're favored by God, you are going to be attacked by the devil. And the crazy thing, when I read Job, the devil was in heaven, which I always thought was crazy. He was in heaven worshiping God with the angels and then God looked out and was like what are you doing here you know the devil just went down his list of complaining but the devil didn't he Job was nowhere on the devil's mind do you know who brought Job up God did so sometimes you can be in a situation where the devil ain't even a, he ain't thinking about Terry Terry's nothing to me you know I want the big fish but in God's eyes you are the big fish and it's like oh have you considered my servant Terry so a lot of the times when I go through stuff or when I'm hurting or something, it's going like, God, man, what's going on? I'm working for you. I'm trying to be a servant. I know I'm a sinner. I know that. But I'm trying to do all of this stuff. Why you got me going through it? And he's just like, why not? I considered you. So for me, you know, I always look at it like, okay, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? But then to go back on Mr. Edward, like how you were saying, you can definitely see the love just erase his body radiates love yeah. even with all he's been through like what he was telling us about you know i don't know if you heard about like things that when you stepped away he was talking about some of the things he did in jail oh, yeah, i was, I was stop the guy from being shot and one thing i want to ask him i'm asking questions just because i'm trying to get this knowledge out here to the to the people who you know are under us in our age a lot of people in my generation don't believe in love 
you know, they really don't believe in God and God is love. So if you don't believe in God, you already are not believing in love. And it just seems like what my generation believes in is pleasure. Like whatever feels good, you know, the weed feels good, the drugs feel good, the sex feels good. And it seems like they fall in lust and confuse it with love because they fall in love with the pleasure. Well, she has the big butt, she has the breasts, he has the money, he's well hung or well endowed. And oh, he can tear it down. And oh, you know, she throwing it all back and all of this other stuff. So I love her, but really, you know, you're using her, you're using him. You just in love with the pleasure. So my question would be to you, you know, you with your wife after all that happened and she's been with you through all of these things. What would you say to young men and young women, millennials, Gen X, and all of these people who will say like, love is fake. You know, all these females out here just trying to get your money. You can't trust them, pass them to the homies and girl, use them for what he has. Cause I know, you know, I love my wife to death and I definitely can tell the difference in having a girlfriend, and having a wife, somebody, because always say like, I feel like people are more so for pleasure because it feels good right now. But when you find somebody who truly loves you, they are pushing you to purpose, even when they don't feel pleasurable. It's like there's times where I don't want to pray. You know, I'm no, I shouldn't say that as a deacon, but it's the truth. Sometimes I'm like, God, I'm tired of praying for everybody. I need prayer. Won't somebody pray for me? And then you got me praying for the same thing that I need. So I'm praying for him to get a financial breakthrough when I'm broke, you know, and then sometimes I don't want to get up and go to work. And my wife is like, babe, but you know, if you don't go to work, who's going to do this? And you know, those people there need you and this and that. So she sees my purpose. And she pushes me to my purpose. I feel like a lot of people don't want that reflection of, this is who you say you are, and I'm going to hold you accountable to be that. They want the, like, yes, man, or the yes, woman. You know, she look good. The, the waist is small, the butt and the breast are big. You know, she could, she used to be a stripper. Or, girl, he got he big and tall with tattoos, and he got a nice car and all of that. They don't want the person who's going to hold them to be accountable. And I feel like that's why a lot of people kind of, you know, I don't know if it's that they don't believe in love or if it's just that they don't want to deal with love because I feel when love comes, yeah, they don't want to deal with it. So uh, what would be, you know, I think you might've muted yourself. What would be your take on that, Mr. Edward? I, I tell it, you that he is proud of you, bro. He's proud of you both, but I'm telling you, he's proud of you. You're doing well with him. And to be open and honest like that, that's what God wants for you because he wants you to be a testament to people who are hiding things because they're afraid to be open to people and give people the impression that everything is okay and it's not. And Will, you, you're, you're saying that, listen, as much as I love God and I follow his teachings and I worship him and praise him, I'm human. Mm -hmm. and, and people sometimes think that that pastor, that deacon, they don't do nothing wrong and they don't experience the things that they do. You need to let them know how close you are to making mistake every single day. <laughs> but yeah. you, and then as far as those people, if I ever had the opportunity to help a young person or any person understand anything about God or love, I would challenge them because most people rise up for the challenge. I challenge them 
to read the Bible and I'll ask them to read it for two weeks, whether they start off with five minutes and end up with 10 minutes a day. That's all I want from them because I know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Gills, man, you didn't need to go do none of that stuff. Here's the reason why I end up in prison. Because I thought I had to go to become a G. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Wednesdays with Will and Terry. Again, we love that you guys get on the podcast. If you can, please like, subscribe, and share if you're looking, listening to us on YouTube or watching us. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, please go ahead and subscribe. We ask that you share so you can get this message of wisdom out to everybody. Send it to people young, old, and in between. If you guys want to be interviewed or if you feel like you have a profession that people need to know about, again, we say this on every episode or it's in our description at least, everybody has something to learn and everybody has something to teach. So if you feel you're in that spot, email us at willandterry15 at gmail.com, W-I-L-L-A-N-D-T-E-R-R-Y-1-5 at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. We're at the end of our podcast because we want to be respectful of Mr. Edward's time. So we are going to give him the final remarks of this episode. Mr. Edward, is there anything you want to leave with the people? Or is there anything you like to say or get off your chest or anything towards the youth? You know what? I want to say thank you to Will and Terry, first and foremost, for having me, for having dialogue with me. I greatly appreciate you guys because it's a lot, it allowed me to really be open with myself and to talk and share with somebody. But to the youth, man, I just want to tell you guys that you have the greatest thing that has ever existed, and that's the presence of God. And it's being shared by people your age, people that's older than you, people that's younger than you. If you tap into him, you will find the marvels of life that can be great for you just by including God in the decisions and choices that you make. And more importantly, to be God-like, no one can describe it, period. They can only tell you that you work at it, and one day you get to that point and he'll tell you how well you've done. So if you never feel that you've done enough and you continue to strive to do more, to be God-like, you're doing the right thing. What day is it, Terry? You know what day it is, man. It's Wednesdays with Will, Will and Terry. And Terry. <laughs> with that hey, said, how many times have we messed that up? We got to practice every single time. the next podcast, man. Every time we mess it up. <laughs> but